So, 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. So, if you guys are there, say amen. No, like half of you are there. Is everybody there? Yes. We got the ret- we have the recording cranking, Caleb. We good? All right. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. So I'm going to start at verse one. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, I'm hoping I pronounced that right. The son of Jehu became king of Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from their sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made <clears throat> Israel sin, but walked in them. And the wooden image also remained in Samaria. For he left <clears throat> of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did in his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. In the the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did in his might, with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So that, oh, here we go. It's back. So Joash rested with his fathers and Jeroboam sat at his throne and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So, a lot of just bad news. A bad news chunk. Um, <clears throat> it's crazy. First and second kings has been rough. Having to sit here and go through these. I'm like, how am I gonna, what am I going to share with these kids? Because honestly, there just seems to be a lot of bad news back and forth. But it's, it's amazing how God is faithful to give us glimpses of his goodness despite um, our failures. And all of this, and despite the constant bad news that we see here in this section of scripture in these books, because um, Israel's kings, the majority of them, did not do well. But verses one through three, uh, before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray. And Lord, I just want to ask that you be with us, Father, that you would be with me, that you would um, be the one speaking this evening and not myself, that you would give um, these young people and ourselves, us leaders, um, something to take away from this, Father, so that we can learn and we can be better as well, Lord, because we know um, if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't matter how long we've been walking with you, we always have work to do, Father, in this journey, God, and um, 
I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for not giving up on us and continuing to help us pursue righteousness, Father, and um, holiness. So, Lord, um, I just pray that you be with us now as we get into your word and you would um, still our minds, still our spirits so that we could actually be attentive and listen, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, verses 1 through 3. Expected results. So, we see here Jehoahaz is established as king in Israel. And immediately right off the bat, we see that the first thing God has to say about him is that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I know we have read that time and time and time again. And we will continue to read that because, um, unfortunately, men fail. But he did evil on the side of the Lord. And the first thing that came to mind is that these are expected results. These are something that we um, shouldn't have been surprised happened. And what I mean by expected results was because of the evil he was doing, leading Israel in, and because of the sin Israel was taking part of, God finally said to them, hey, I've had enough, and I'm going to allow you to be taken captive by this other people group. So in life, we're given benefits or consequences for our decisions, and life gives us a heads up as to what those things are. So what I mean by that is when you're a little kid, your parents potty train you, right? Uh, right? I hope so. Is everyone in here potty trained? Yeah? Okay, kind of. So you have, you have benefits to potty training and consequences to not cooperating with the potty training. I don't know. Why are you looking at me? So, I don't know. Like You're making me worried now that you're worried about that. So, but anyway, potty training. Your parents are asking you to do this thing because they're like, dude, I do not want to change your diapers anymore. You stink. I don't want to deal with it anymore. So, one of the benefits of potty training is that you're not getting a mess anymore. Nobody has to wipe you anymore. You get to keep your business to yourself now. But one of the consequences to not... Being potty trained is that you ruin your clothes, you make a big stink, you have embarrassing moments when you're out overnights with friends, you're like, yo, I just wet the sleeping bag and now I've got to call mom and dad. There's pros and cons to it. As you grow up, you go to school, and then they give you a new set of benefits and consequences to how you're to behave in school. And so, um, actually, are you guys allowed to have cell phones in school? No. Okay, but the general consensus is still do not have your cell phone out yeah. in class unless you're allowed to. So general consensus would say, though, that's probably still not the case. And if they see you have your phone out, what happens when you pull your phone out? They take it away. They take it. Now, if they don't take it away because you didn't pull it out, what happens later? You still have your phone. There's benefits and consequences to those decisions. When you leave school, if you decided to do your homework and you weren't in school for an extra four years, that's another benefit and consequence. When you leave school, you're now in the real world where you're now held to a different standard because you're now an adult. And if you don't act the way society wants you to act, there are laws that can be broken that puts you in where? Jail. But if you adhere to those rules, what does not happen? You don't go to jail. And then you get to have a pretty decent life as long as you're a functional member and things work out for you. But overall, in life, everywhere you go, there are consequences and benefits as to the decisions that you're going to make in life. 
Now, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a happy life, but it does guarantee that you're probably not going to be sitting behind bars for the entirety of your life having obeyed these rules. Now, that's just the world. That's just the way that it works. But the Bible does the exact same thing for us. It gives us expectations for you so that you're not blindsided when the consequences hit for having disobeyed God's law. But it gives you benefits at the same time as the things that could happen or will happen when you follow God's law. So Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. I'm going to go ahead and flip there. If you guys want to write that down, you can. 4, 18 through 19. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The path of those that follow God and pursue him is bright. It's easy to see. You can't get lost on it. You know where you're going. Then 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. This is a fantastic picture. I love it because I don't know. When you, when you live in a house for a long time, it's crazy where you cannot turn any lights on. And I might, I might just be the weird guy. But like, if I got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I don't have to turn any lights on. I know exactly where to go. Right? Like you can maneuver through your house. You know exactly where everything is. But it is the worst when somebody moves a piece of furniture and you didn't know. You stub your toe. You hit your face on stuff. Yeah, Legos. Oh, my gosh. But somebody moves something into a place it's not supposed to be and you're kind of just walking about, minding your own business, and all of a sudden your toe is taking a hard right angle because you stubbed it on the chair that somebody decided to move over. Now, this picture here is fantastic because it says that those that are not following God, that are just meandering about because they're assuming they know it's in front of them, often stumble over and are broken and are taken out and taken down by things, and they have no idea what it is. And just like you who just stubbed your toe and are now rolling through the living room, you have no idea what it was that took you out until you turned the light on. And then you turn the light on because you assume it's going to be this huge thing. Like you're like, that was for sure a bear that just knocked me out in the living room. And you turn it on and it was your little brother's like train, train station on the ground. And you're like, how, how, how did that knock me out? Why is my foot snapped in half right now? So it's crazy. You have no idea what's there, but that's how the enemy works. That's how the world works when we're not pursuing righteousness can't see what's coming, and you're blindsided by the things that are going to take you out. But when we pursue God, when we follow his ways and we know where we're going, he's illuminating that path for us. So that even if somebody moves an obstacle in the way, you see it coming, and you can be diverted around it and continue on to your destination without breaking your toes. So expected results. <clears throat> this king decided to make decisions for himself and for his people. And remember, as the king, the decisions he makes not only affect him, but because he's a leader and someone that people look up to, and not only look up to, they literally have to do whatever he says, whenever he says to do it. He led the people of Israel into sin. And he knew these stipulations. At this point in time, we have to remember that this king did not come into his position of authority not knowing his people's history, not knowing who God was. I guarantee you that as he was growing up, he heard about Elijah. He knew about Elisha. If I don't think Elijah was still around at this point. But he heard about these guys. God was an established, rich part of their history. What happened to those who disobeyed? I'm sure he took lessons on it. 
Here's what happens when these people made these decisions. God wiped them out or sent someone to wipe them out. Here's what happened to those that followed the God of Israel. They flourished. They were blessed. They did these things. So we have to remember that this king did not come in blind. He knew very well what was happening. These people studied. They were intelligent. They knew what was going on. And he made these decisions knowing this regardless. He knew how God was going to feel about their behavior. And one thing I think we should note is that it does not say in Scripture that he was surprised by the results that happened. It doesn't say that anywhere. He wasn't like, whoa! Yo, why, God, why are you mad? No, he knew. He knew exactly why he was where they were. And we know that because when he was in trouble and when, when they were in the lowest place they could be, who did he cry out to? He cried out to the faithful God that he knew was watching over his people. He petitioned for his people. And I know the section of scripture doesn't say this about him, but I'd imagine he probably learned his lesson somewhat, a little bit. It doesn't say that he was continued in his wretchedness forever. It says the people as a whole did. But this king petitioned for his people when he saw them down in their rut. Because we have to remember the way, the way a lot of these takeovers worked is that they would actually use. So the Syrians came in and took over the people of Israel. A lot of times they kept the established authority so that they could help oversee all of this authority. And so they weren't free like they were before, but they also weren't being abused the same way that people were. And so this king wasn't being run down like the others were, but he had a heart for them. He cared for them and he petitioned for them because he saw brokenness and he saw misery. So we can see a soft spot here. Like this king wasn't dead inside. But are we blindsided by results that we're bringing on ourselves? Are we? I want you guys to take, take a look at the, the lives that you're living right now. You've had good things happen to you. You've had bad things happen to you. Are you blindsided by the results when you make a bad decision? Are you surprised when mom and dad are like, yo, you're grounded? And you're like, what? I didn't know I was going to be grounded for doing that. I had no idea. You were serious about me cleaning my room? Hey. I was not talking about you, but good job selling yourself out on that one. But... <laughs> You were serious about me not playing video games past midnight? About not talking to that person after you were gone? Like, I'm actually in trouble for that. Like, you've got to, like, for real? No, dude, you knew. But you made the decision to be disobedient because you thought you might get away from it, away with it. But then when the repercussions hit, you're like, all right, they caught me. At a certain point, you just have to admit, okay, they caught me. You're right. And then verses four through five. Before we get into that, remember where we're at right now is that this king had the repercussions hit. He saw what was happening. He petitioned for himself and for his people. And now God hears him. So verses four through five. If I can find four, it disappeared. Oh, so Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. So God heard their cries. God heard their pleas and he sent them a deliverer. Now we do not know who this deliverer is. God knows who he is and I'm sure he is blessed for it. Um, It's one less person for us to worship. 
<laughs> I, I love that God didn't tell us their name. But God hears the cries of his broken people. They knew the decisions that they made. They ended up in a bad place because of their decisions. But they also knew that God was going to hear them because we have a very loving God. Psalms 10, 12 through 15. I'm going to read that for you guys. You can write that down. Psalm 10, 12 through 15. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. So we have a God who purposes. He sets an ear aside on purpose to hear those that are in need. He sees you when you have no answers. He sees you when you've been crying all night. He sees you when he or she has done you wrong or you've been abused by someone. He knows those things. That was Psalm 10, 12 through 15. God cares for you if you're there. God cares for those people when they're there very much. He does not care for those that hurt others and abuse others and keep others down. He very much loves those that are broken. God heard our cries. We have to remember that when we're born, we're wrapped in flesh and we're wrapped in sin. And there was generations of people who cried out for help, who needed an answer, who didn't have a way of escape, and God heard it. And how he answered that for all of us, who knows how God answered that for all of us? Take a guess. Um, Jesus. Jesus, that's right. He put our cries and our misery at ease through the gift of Jesus Christ when he sent him down here. Jesus came down because he looked down and he saw that we needed assistance. We needed help. He saw that we didn't have this figured out. We were lost. We were, we were walking around like you would at nighttime trying to get to the other end of your house and tripping over stuff and stumbling over it. We were lost in our ways. We didn't know better. And so he came down and said, I'm going to show them how to do this. I'm going to show them how to live. I'm going to show them how to do it right. I'm going to show them how to do it with a life full of love. And then I'm going to sacrifice myself for them so that they can be covered and forgiven for the mistakes that they have made. And he did it regardless of his feelings. Pastor Steve talked about this morning in Mark where Jesus did all of these things and it finally came to, it's time to die. He knew it was here. And he did ask God, he said, Lord, if there is any other way that these people can be forgiven, if there's any other way that I don't have to suffer the way I'm about to suffer, please let that way be. Because we have to remember, and a lot of us forget this, the process of Jesus being crucified is literally the process you were bound for. Your sin equals that punishment. Jesus didn't get punished that way for no reason. That is the debt that we owed. He took every single lashing you owed. He took the crown of thorns that you owed. He took the trudge up the mountain after we'd been beaten that we owed for us. And then he hung on the cross until his body literally couldn't hold himself up there anymore and broke and died for us. We have to remember that that process of death was literally what each and every one of us was destined for. 
That was the amount of pain we had to pay because of our disobedience to God. And Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, please. But God, if this is the only way, I love them enough. And if this is your will, I'll do it. That's what he came down here to do. That's what happens. So when we follow God, when we follow Jesus and we give him our hearts, one of the benefits of that is that you've escaped that punishment. But when you turn against God and you don't follow him, you are taking that thing on fully. You can't be in the presence of God. He can't look at you because of your sin. But Jesus came down here to take all of that. He loved you that much. Jesus bore our cross so we could be free from our oppressors. And our oppressors are whatever sin is bogging you down right now. Whatever it is that distracts you from your time with God. Whatever sin it is that keeps you constantly in trouble at home. Whatever sin it is that keeps you constantly in trouble at school or in your athletics. Whatever that is, that is who your oppressor is. Because when we talk oppressors, I understand that we don't live in a day and age where we're literally looking at an army of people around us. At least in this country, we're not there yet. But many of you have to admit, honestly have to admit, that you have sin in your life that you are completely surrounded by because you purposefully do not surrender that thing. He bore it so you could be free from it. Jehoahaz knew the repercussions and he still allowed himself to be surrounded with his oppressors. You know, whether you've read this Bible or not, I read the verses to you. You know what's going to happen if you obey or disobey. You're purposefully taking on the repercussions going forward with the decisions you make. Are the things that catch us off guard regardless? Yes, the enemy likes to attack us, but many of the decisions, many of the hardships we fall into are brought on by our own selfishness and our own self-seeking because we put our desires before God way too often. Verses 6 through 13. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But this is the section of Scripture that talks about they've now been free. He said, all right, cool, I'm going to get you out of that mess. And the very next verse, it says, they still continue in the ways of their old sin. How often do we do that exact same thing? How many of you have prayed a prayer and God answered your prayer and you're like, all right, cool, that was cool for a day. So my room's dirty again, so I'm just going to leave it like that. I've done it. Don't, I mean, don't, for real. How many of you have done that? Like, Lord, please get me out of this grounding this time. And your parents come in, they're like, okay, just clean your room. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. I still get to go to that thing that I want to go to. I get to see that movie. This is going to be great. You get home from your movie and you're like, I don't need to clean that room. That's not that big a deal. And then the wrath hits you hard. And your parents are like, you're grounded forever until you die. You're grounded for the rest of your days. Or if I die first. That's how long you're grounded for. You can't be surprised by that. We make those decisions on our, on our own all the time. Jesus considers us his bride. If you ever hear the term in scripture, the bride, it means that when Jesus came down, it's, he loved us enough that it compares a groom and his wife. He looks at us with loving eyes and he wants to care for us. Just like a husband is to care for his wife. From death do us part, you're supposed to care for, love, cherish, nourish, take care of until death. But 
Fortunately for the Christian, we get new life when we pass away and we get to be even closer to Christ. But we're his bride. Unfaithful brides, though. Super unfaithful brides. The prayer was answered. Our prayers get answered and we immediately at times put ourselves in the way of unfaithfulness to God. That's literally what it is. When you ask Jesus into your heart and you pursue sin, that's you in the context of marriage cheating on God. That's you committing infidelity against him because you said, I commit myself to you, all of myself to you. You can have it all forever. And then you went and spent time with whatever that pleasure was or whoever that vice was. That's what that is. And it's crazy because those vices, the things that keep us away from God, they abuse us. They hurt us. They keep us down. It's weird. We have a, we have a love-hate relationship with it because we enjoy it, but we know it hurts us. We know it's bad for us. How many of you have ever heard of the term Stockholm Syndrome? Stockholm Syndrome. What Stockholm Syndrome is, is it's a lot of times in a hostage situation where someone is being taken captive by another person. Or an abusive situation where for some reason the person being abused or the person being held hostage gets this. It's not natural. It, is, it, it just happens sometimes. They become intimately connected with their abuser. Almost in a way that they feel like they're completely in love with the person that's mentally and physically harming them. The F, an FBI study says that 8% of people that come out of a situation like that are infatuated with their abuser. We as Christians have Stockholm Syndrome sometimes with our sins, where we know how abusive it is to us. We know how harmful it is. We know how bad it is for us from the beginning to the end. We know walking in, we're like, this is going to suck, but I'm going to go in anyway because there is a little bit of pleasure in it. We have this love-hate relationship with something that is harmful to us and we know it and we keep coming back to it. We act like we love something that is actually out to kill you. You understand the enemy is out to seek, kill, destroy you. Destroy you in the sense means to leave nothing but a pile of ash. You are to be nothing but a pile of dust by the time the enemy is done with you. Yet we come walking in with wide open arms and a smile on our face because we love our oppressors rather than God at times. Our Father watches us do the same thing with our vices and shortcomings time and time again. His heart is broken for us. His heart is broken for His bride. The help of Jesus was offered so that we could have freedom from these things. So you really have to ask yourself at this point, if I'm constantly putting myself in a place where I'm being beat down and hurt, are my actions reflecting my words when I say, I love Him? I actually have a relationship with Jesus because when we call ourselves Christians and followers of Christ, that means that we are saying, I love him with every ounce of me. I'm giving him every part of me. But if you say that and do these things, that's a lie. We can't. Now, there's nobody in this room that does that perfectly. But we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that we're walking into willingly, constantly, and consistently without batting an eye? Because that is keeping you from experiencing God every day. Luke 19, 41 through 44, 
It's Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and it says that Jesus wept for the people. And the reason he wept for the people is because he didn't realize, they didn't realize the disaster that they were constantly walking into. They didn't see the goodness happening. He wept for them because they were completely blind. They didn't see. They were infatuated with disaster. And he wept for them. He weeps for us. Imagine watching someone that you love, a family member, constantly walking in disaster over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's a terrible thing to watch. To lighten the mood a little bit, Eli and Isaac, my two oldest sons, we like to play at home. And one thing my kids like to do is box for fun. Now, when my two oldest boys box, they're so little, they kind of just flail and they have terrible form. So what we've been working on lately is having the correct form. But when you have bad form and you throw a punch and you look the opposite direction, what's going to happen when you look the opposite direction? You're going to come in and pop, get you. I'm going to get you. So we're sitting here boxing, and they go like this. They're like, ah! And they look down, and I just, I literally lean over, and I just, like, pat them on the back of the head. And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, you weren't looking. Of course you wouldn't see that coming. You couldn't block it if you wanted to. And it's over and over and over and over and over again. Eight times in, they're like, how did you get me? I'm like, bro. For real. And that's when we get to the title of our messages. Come on. For real. Like, there's no way you don't know. You made the decision. You're doing the same thing over and over again. God has to be in heaven saying, come on, dude. Do that for the ladies in here. Like, come on. How many times do you have to do this and fall into the same rut over and over and over again before you finally are going to stop doing it? I've given you the answer. I've given you all the tools you need. You're the one purposefully turning a blind eye and walking into trouble. You have to understand that way too many times we over-spiritualize things. We'll make a mistake and you guys will come talking to me or you'll talk to somebody else or friends, parents. You're like, I have no idea how this happened. How did that get there? Well, I don't know. How do you think that happened? In a lot of cases, you'll hear in high school, I don't know how I got pregnant. I can give you two guesses. But you're only going to need one. If you need two guesses, then you probably need to stay in school for another couple of years. That doesn't accidentally happen. I don't know how those drugs got in my system. How many times have you heard an athlete say that in the news? You know exactly how that happened. That did not happen accidentally. There is one scenario I can think of where that's happened accidentally, but everybody knows what the coffee pot is. The juiced up coffee pot. But you still went to the wrong one on purpose. Don't over-spiritualize it. What it is is that you made a bad decision and you made that bad decision going in. You premeditated how you were going to go about it. You got there. You even probably had a moment before you did it and said, I probably shouldn't do this. Is it really going to be worth it? And you shut that part of your brain off where your conscience is like, no, don't do it. You're going to regret it. You're like, no, 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 I, I got it. It'll be okay. I'll get away with it this time.
You walk right into it. All the time. We walk right into it. I've walked into it a hundred times. What is that mistake you keep making? Because it's not anybody else making it for you. Look to the person to the left real quick. Who's sitting to your left? Wow. All of you guys looked a different direction. So left. Hold up your, hold up your hands. The hand that makes an L would be your left side. Okay. So look to the left. Now look to your right. So that person on either side of you didn't actually make you, will not make you sin. That's not a thing. They can't. They couldn't. They can probably put you in a bad place, but they can't make you actually commit sin. So our sin is not anybody else's fault except our own. It's not. And one thing, a term that I've really grown to like really just, Oh, I hate it so much is this term called generational sin. You'll hear it thrown around in, in churches a lot. There is one generational sin that you are born with. And if you ever hear this term, remember this. Sin as a whole. You are wrapped in flesh. You have sin. You're born with it. That's your generational curse. But when scripture talks about generational curses for the most part, it's because society keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. It means that if you live in the slums, and you keep making the mistakes that keep you in the slums. That's mistakes that you're making. Now, some people have a really hard time getting out. And there are those far and few. I'm not saying everybody in the slums is making dumb decisions. But when Jesus died on the cross, he made it so that you could be forgiven of your sin. Each individual person. His blood was designed and covered, designed to cover you specifically. You do not have to make the same mistakes as the people around you. Culture does not make up your mind. Culture does not say you, does not literally make you make those decisions. Does it try to influence you? Yes, it does. Generational sin technically means that you are making the same decisions that your parents made. Or your elders made. Or the people before you made. But the quick and easy escape is Jesus Christ himself who can change you, who can change your heart, mind, and soul. You do not have to make those mistakes. He is your freedom. He is your escape. Habitual mistakes or habitual mistake making gets confused for what some would consider generational sin. That's not what that means. A habitual mistake is not really a mistake. It's something you call a mistake, but you purposefully keep doing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. If you were to apologize for me for doing something and then two minutes later do that exact same thing, I would probably say you weren't really sorry. That's what that means. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. It's going to be our last section here. I'll read that. 17, 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man. So we're not talking about cursed anymore. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river 
and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. God gives every single person the opportunity to make right decisions. And he gives you the ability to follow or not follow. That's the, that's the beauty of Genesis, is that God could have made us obedient drones that did everything he asked us to do, but he said, no, I, I want you to be able to make a free will decision to actually love me or not. But you have to realize you're the one making the decision. God's not putting that on you. Man's not putting that on you. Your family is not putting that on you. Your friends are not putting that on you. You have to make the decision yourself. You are not bound by any other curse other than sin as a whole. And Jesus is your key. So are we allowing ourselves to be freed from these things or willingly walking into captivity? Are you allowing yourself to be surrounded by your oppressors? Who are we romancing? The shallow love of the shallow love that the world offers or the freeing love so deep that it can't be measured that is found in the gift of Jesus. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for God. But it's amazing how even in 2 Kings, God, you reveal these things to us, God. That you show us the depths of your love, that you show us how forgiving you are, that you show us just, Lord, how you're willing to give us chance after chance after chance, even though we don't deserve those chances, God. And Lord, that's what we want to focus on today. It's not the fact that we keep doing wrong, but Lord, it's the fact that you keep giving us opportunities to do right. And eventually, Lord, we want to take those opportunities. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes. So God, I pray that today would be a change for most of us, if not all of us, that we would drop these things and stop allowing ourselves to be oppressed. That we stop putting ourselves in a situation where, Father, we have no real joy. Where we have bad attitudes and we have a bad outlook on life and we have and we cling to things that are empty father but lord that we would learn to cling to you because we know that true joy comes comes with you like jeremiah told us father we want to be like a tree by by the water god so that when trouble comes lord our roots run deep and we're not blown away like the rest of the shrubbery that gets ripped out of the surface in the desert father and becomes tumbleweeds and a pest, God. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are not doing small group tonight, but um, I think that that's it, actually.